Well, we have all our different perspectives. And I think as little children, even when we were growing up, we all had our perspective of what heaven is. Heaven is where? Up, right? That's what we believe as little kids. We say heaven is up and someplace else is down. But heaven, we always say heaven is up. And so even as kids, we have our perspective of what heaven is. Well, as we grow up, we watch movies, we read books, we see videos, and we see people who have their perspective of heaven. And we think to ourselves, well, what does heaven look like? What is heaven all about? I mean, is heaven real? Is that a place we end up? How do you get to heaven? And do only special people get to heaven? Do you have to do a particular thing to get to heaven? And so we have all of these questions. Well, the world will have its answers. And sometimes we'll read books or see people come out with books that they'll say, well, I've been to heaven and this is what it looks like. Then some people claim that heaven doesn't exist. We have right now, if you've been watching the news, a little boy, I think his name is Colton, who said he's been to heaven and has seen his grandfather. And he even has a book that's out. So we have all of these different perspectives about heaven. I'm not here to say that people who claim they went to heaven, they're they're not true. But I'm also not here to say that people who say that uh, heaven is not real, to so-called prove them wrong. What we want to look at is what does the Bible say about heaven? Because really it comes back to God's word and what he says in his word about what he believes and what is true and accurate. You see, every single one of us can receive the rewards that God offers concerning heaven. And we're going to take some, some, some thought to heart. Because there's three musts that we're going to look at this morning concerning God in heaven. And it's going to help us to really paint a, a clearer picture about heaven. Because we often think, what is it like? In the book of Matthew, Jesus gives us a parable, a story about about a wedding feast. And the reason why I'm going to read this story is because Jesus likens it to the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why Jesus would give us stories is because He understands how we think. That's why God sent His Son in human form so that He could be just like us as human, as human beings, but being all God, so that He can understand how we are, what we go through. In a very realistic way. And he went through life just as we did. So by the time he speaks to us, he understands. It's like when you come to church and then it's like the pastor speaks about only you. And you're thinking, how in the world does he know? Did somebody call? Did somebody tell? No, Jesus knows exactly what we go through. So when he gives the stories, he's giving us stories that we can relate to. And in Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to read from verse 1. And it says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his business. So he gives out invitations to the party and they turn him down. They say, well, we don't want to show up. And he says, well, tell them how good the food will be. Maybe the food will bring them. 
Because a lot of us go to parties because of the food. Don't act like you, you, you don't know. It's like, wedding, who's getting married? I don't even know them. Oh, but they're going to have food. Shoots, let's go. No need to cook dinner. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burnt up their city. It's kind of harsh. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready. But those who were invited, they were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found. And I want us to all catch this. Both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So it starts off with the king putting together this wedding feast. Because his son is, is, is uh, going to get married. Sends out the invitations. People turn it down. And he says, you know what? Those people, they were not willing to come. So just ask anyone. Because the whole goal was the celebration of the wedding. That's what his whole heart was. It's so that everyone can be a part of this great feast. You know, when Jesus gives this story, it really leaves us thinking that everyone is invited to the banquet. Everyone. Everyone is invited to the party. But not all people will choose to be there. See, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus is saying is it's prepared. The, the kingdom of heaven is just like that, where God the Father has a, he has a wedding banquet that He's throwing. There is a wedding taking place with the Son of God and the church, which is the people. It's us. It's all of us. And He's saying there's going to come one day where we're all going to be together at the same, in the same place. And He's preparing a place for us. But you can actually turn down the invitation. See, we can have all kinds of beliefs. We can look at the world and, and say, well, what does the world believe? Some people will have their own idea and say, well, there must be, there must be more to heaven than just what we think. And we'll write about it. We'll read books about it. But when it comes back to God's Word, that's where we'll find more of what heaven is about. The problem is, sometimes we don't have faith in what God has already said in His Word. Did you know that not all Christians believe that the Bible is 100% God's Word? Not everybody believes that. Therefore, one of the musts that i got to put into my life, and the first thing is that I must have faith in God's words, in God's Word. I must have faith in God's Word. Yeah, he, he's already said it. It's already done. Whatever God said is true. Whatever He says goes because He's already done it. He's eternal. But why is God's Word important? Why must I have faith in, in His Word? This is where faith comes from. And it's in what God is saying to us. That's where faith comes from. Because isn't it true that faith is mostly built with somebody who has never lied? It's someone who's trustworthy and has never broken a promise. 
And all the promises that they've spoken have come to pass. See, it's God's Word that gives us that faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of... Yes. It's by the Word of God. We can have our own ideas... We can think to ourselves, well, I, I, what, if I, what if I just kind of play it by ear as I go? Well, there's something that pleases God, and it is faith. Because faith is that thing that we have that is really not a sense. You know, we have five senses. Faith is not really a sense that we have. It's something that is built by the Word of God. It's what pleases God. Hebrews says it like this, 11.6. So you see, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to God must believe that there is a God and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. It's, it's God's Word that gives us the promise of heaven. It's God's Word that gives us His promises. We can read His Word and, and actually doubt God, but really it comes back to, am I going to have faith in what God has already said? Am I going to have faith in His Word? Am I going to have the faith that when God says there is a place for you called heaven, that I'm going to believe that? In fact, Jesus Himself, he, when He was on the earth, He said, Listen, there is a place, and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell you about it in a way that you can understand. And He says it in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a pl- and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know where I go. And the way you know. Well, Thomas, one of the disciples... It was kind of like, okay, well, I see what you're saying, but, but Lord, how? He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm thinking that's kind of bold for somebody to make that statement. For somebody to say, oh, it's a wonderful place. I got, I got, we got, we have mansions. I mean, we're building mansions like you've never seen before. Everything perfect. Perfect. No more mosquitoes, cockroaches. It's perfect. And it's just, it's one of those places that it's, it's, it's specifically built for you. It will be exactly how you would want it. You rent now, but when you get there, You own it. God gives it to you. Zero down payment, zero payment. I would think to myself, okay, prove it. I mean, wouldn't you if somebody said, look, I have a house for you. Go get it. I mean, there must be some kind of proof. Can't just say, well, I have a mansion for you. And so, hey, when you get there, just go in. You you might think you get arrested or something might happen. But Jesus says, no, I have a place for you. First thing would come to my mind is, well, we'll prove it. How do I know? How will I know that there is a place for me? 
And how will I know the way? Well, you're saying you're the only way. How can you be the only way? Why can't I get there some other way? I mean, doesn't all religions lead back to God? What if, what if Jesus was not who He said He was? And what if, I, what if I try this religion? Does not God honor my heart's desire? Because I really have Him in mind, so can I go this route? What if I do my own thing and just say, you know what, I, I just believe in you, God, I'm going to do good things. Cannot that be accepted? Well, the Bible again says in Hebrews 2.17, it says, Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, His brothers and sisters, so that He could be our merciful and high and faithful high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Is there another way to God? Well, I don't think anybody else died for the sins of the world. And even if they did, theoretically, let's just say someone said, well, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Who pays for theirs? You would have to have somebody who is perfect to pay for everyone else's sin. Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, was the only one qualified to pay for the sins of the world. He was the only one. It's kind of like this. If I was to say, I have a home for you, but you have to figure out the key. Or, instead of trying to figure it out on your own, as the owner, I already have the key. All you have to do is take it. What would you do? I'd take the key. I wouldn't say, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me just think it through. Let me think it through. Okay, if, if I make a key, you're saying that I can get into the home. Yes, but it has to be perfect in order to open it. Or you can just take the one I'm giving you. I'd be out of my mind to say, you know what? I don't want to take yours. I'll figure it out myself. I don't trust your key. That's what God did. He said, here's the key to heaven. It's my son, Jesus Christ. It's perfect. It fits. It's perfect. All you have to do is receive him. And as many of us will say, well, not sure yet. Not sure yet. What happens if I take that offer? God says, everything that I own is freely available to you. And you're free from your sins. And I wonder why, why we stay there in our own mindset trying to figure other things out. And God says, I, I have the simplest thing. See, it had to be the Son of God because He's perfect. Romans 6.10, it says, For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. See, because Jesus was the Son of God, He could live for all of eternity. So that when he died, he died on purpose to defeat the sting of sin called death once so that God could be glorified. He died once and that was it. See, it's God's word that gives us hope that one day heaven will be our final resting place. But did you know that heaven is so much more than just our final resting place? Heaven is much more than salvation. Because think about it, if heaven was all about salvation and us getting to heaven from this earth, 
the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, you'd be there. If that was if that was God's purpose in salvation, to just get us to heaven, then the moment I RSVP'd his invitation, he'd say, okay, you're done, you're home. But we're still, we're still here because God has a purpose for all of us that are here. There's a purpose for our life. There's a plan that he has for us. It's much more than salvation. But I wonder how many of us, knowing that we're going to go to heaven, act like it. How many of us actually display that? I mean, if you've seen a, a man and a woman dressed in a tuxedo and the woman in the wedding gown, you would think what? Either they're getting married, have gotten married, or those two. Yeah, just those two. Because of what they look like. They could be the most joyful people on this earth because of the marriage. And you could look at them and you could tell, okay, they're getting married or they've gotten married. They're in their wedding attire. You didn't even have to ask them. I mean, if you were to walk up to somebody, someone who looked like that and say, hey, so are you guys getting married? Eh, you could ask that, but almost like obviously. I wonder how obvious it is to the world in the way we live that says, we're going to the wedding feast. Or do they look at our lives and the way we live, they say, you're going to heaven and you're that grouchy about it? I don't believe. Like you're going, you have the greatest thing in the world to look forward to. Christians should be the most wonderful, joyful people on the face of this planet. We should be the most compassionate, the most loving, the most generous the most patient because we're going to heaven. See, that's the joy we get to look forward to. That's God's promise for us. It's in His Word. He says it. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. I wonder how many people, how many of us, when we're in heaven, we'll wish we participated a whole lot more in the purpose that God has for us on this earth when we're there. And say to ourselves, man, I, I could have done this. And I'm sure there'll be no regrets, but just thinking theoretically. You know, the Apostle John received revelation from God concerning heaven so that we'd be certain that heaven is real. I mean, he could have used anyone and... and and he could have used certain people, but he chose John for a reason. And John was collect, his, his connected to Christ. He was closely connected to Christ. And when God gives him this revelation, here is John on the island of Patmos, secluded from the rest of the world, imprisoned from his loved ones, from the people that are most dear to him. And God gives him a revelation of what heaven is like. Just a glimpse in Revelation 21.1. He says, Now I, I saw in heaven, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Then he writes, Also there was no more sea. I was thinking, Put a out of fishermen. <laughs> Surfers. Bodyboarders. Paddlers. 
But then I tried to imagine, okay, if I was John and I'm in this prison, secluded from the rest of the world, on this little island, and all my loved ones, those that are dear to me, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your friends, everyone who you love, they're no more. Because you're separated by this vast sea between you and them. And I'm wondering if I saw this vision that I only have so much that I can write because that's all I can fathom. I can't explain everything that I would just pen. Now, I, boy, when I got to heaven, God showed me, I saw a new heaven. It was just new. It was different. Everything was just amazing. And then I saw a new earth. It wasn't like the one here. It's just brand new. Everything was clean and clear and the colors were amazing. And then, and I felt a feeling that I've never felt before. It's like, it's like a love of another kind, but stronger and, and pure. And, and it's like, it's like how you feel when there's your loved ones, but, but nothing separating you. Like there was just no more sea. Nothing separating me from people that I love. And I'm wondering if John wrote that to give us an idea that nothing will be able to separate us from, the, from those that we love. That we're all together enjoying the presence of God. Now in theory, that's just what I'm thinking. But that's what he wrote. I'm not saying that that's what he's saying, that, okay, there's no sea or there is sea. All I know is that's what he wrote. There's something that he put down that causes us to really imagine what it could look like. See, God could show the Apostle Paul these things because God is out of time. He's eternal. He's the one that gives us the picture of what heaven could be because he can. You know, we're all stuck in time. We're trying to imagine what heaven will look like. But God is eternal. And He's the one that's able to help us to understand what heaven looks like. But we only can understand so much. And our minds can only fathom so much. But that's where I have to do this second must. I must believe that God cannot lie. I must believe that. I must believe that He just can't lie. I tell you how genius God is. How, I mean, this, is this just blows my mind. Let's just say you got caught for something. Now, theoretically, okay, don't think, oh, great, now he knows, he's going to tell everybody. Just theoretically, okay, let's just say you did get caught for something and someone saw you do something. And then the judge comes and he says, okay, here's your, here's your sentencing, unless you have witnesses. And then you had with you your friends, your family. But then you had your enemies, those that want revenge on you, those that are trying to uh, uh, cause uh, like, like uh, gossip about you or, or slander you, or those that just don't like you. Now you had two, those two groups, and, God, and the judge says, okay, um, plead your case, where's your witnesses? Which group would you choose? Your friends or your enemies? Oh, I'd pick my friends. I just know. we pick our friends. There's no possible way I'll go to my enemies and say, can you guys vouch for me? Can, can you just... I'm not saying you guys are my enemies. It's just in the illustration they were on this side. Would you vouch for me? Would you say... I wouldn't go to my enemies. They're the ones who are trying to destroy me. 
I will go to my friends and family and say, oh, can, can you guys vouch for me? Because the judge is saying, I, I did wrong. And I was, I was with you guys. Just let him know. This is how genius God is. God says, I'm not going to pick the ones that love me. I'm going to find the very one that is the most opposite side of me, who is, I'm his enemy. He picked a man who was persecuting the church, killing Christians, throwing them in prison. And he says, I'll pick that guy. I'll pick him. I'll pick him to show that I don't lie. I'll choose him. His name is Saul. He says, I'll pick that guy. Jesus meets him face to face. This is after Jesus was resurrected. This is after Jesus died on the cross to prove that what Jesus is saying is true. What God is saying is true, that God cannot lie. Jesus shows up to Saul and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul changes his life, follows Jesus Christ. Then he writes this to, to, the, uh, to Titus. He says to Titus, this letter is from Paul. He's saying this is, you know, he had someone write this for him. He had a scribe that would write, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now remember his, the backstory of this. He came from a life that was against God, against Christ. I have been sent to bring faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them the confidence of eternal life, which God promised them before the world began. And then he tags it with this. Oh, by the way, he cannot lie. God didn't choose a a person who is fully in love with God. He chose someone who hated his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm just letting you know, he cannot lie. I'd be truthful with you. I know what it was like to be against God, but I'm letting you know, God cannot lie. That's what Paul was saying. He just can't. it's, It's not in God's character because God is eternal. Who he is, is already him. He doesn't change. So if God never lied before, he's not able to change now and lie. Hebrews 6, 18, it says, So God has given us both His promise and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to His promise with confidence. Because He doesn't lie, it gives us all the confidence in the world that what He's saying is truth. And it's accurate. See, the reason why it's so important is because when we go through our doubts, all we have to do is go back to the promise that God said He can't lie. And that gives us all the confidence we need, not just concerning life, but concerning heaven. Because we're going to have our doubts. When my son was a lot younger, my younger son Jordan, he, um, he couldn't sleep one night. And he was having a difficult time sleeping. And I, I could see that that was happening. And so I went into the room and, and I said, Hey, Jordan, you okay? He said, yeah. And I'm trying to think, okay, what is he going through? You know, I'm thinking somebody's beating up in school. You know, somebody's picking on him. Maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, girls making trouble. I don't know. He was like, I don't know, seven or eight years old. 
And I'm, I'm thinking all these things. What is happening? And as I'm asking him questions, he's just saying, no, I'm fine. But I knew he wasn't. I could actually hear him sniffling. Maybe he was crying. I don't know. I just knew something wasn't right. And I said, Jordan, just tell me, what is wrong? And then he asked this question that I did not even think he would ask. And he said, Dad, how do I know if heaven is real? How do I know? And then he said this. He said, how do I get there? And will you be there? Will mom be there? He started to name the family. And I said, you know, Jordan, God says heaven is real. And then he said this, but how do I know? And I, I, I tried my best to explain it to him. I, I got some videos that would help explain I, I even um, uh, prayed with him. But before I prayed with him, I said, you know, Jordan, it takes a lot of faith to understand this because our minds cannot fathom what God has for us. But I tell you this, the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, it's all the assurance you need because he doesn't lie. And then we prayed and, and then we were done and... and and when we were finished praying all of that and, and thinking that through, I thought, Lord, we really have you to rely on. Because as much as even the Bible will portray it to us or, or, or give us an idea of what heaven is like, we can't fathom it. But that's where I, I must believe that you cannot lie. That's all we have to go on is your word. That's it. That's all we got. And I thought, when it comes down to it, God offers all of this. It really comes back down to if I'm going to choose Him or not. See, when it comes to heaven, here's the third must. I must choose heaven. It's a choice. It's a choice we make. But what if I, what if I, um, instead of giving my heart to Jesus Christ, what if I just do good things? I mean, what if I just be good? Because if I give my life to Jesus Christ, am I not going to come become like a, a religious fanatic person and I'm going to be weird? No, you don't have to be weird. People are weird because they're just weird without Christ. It's just the way we are as people. We're all weird. But when it comes to my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a choice I make. Because how good can we be to get to heaven? I, what, if, what if you were an owner of a restaurant? Let's just say you owned a restaurant. The greatest restaurant in the entire world. You, you won awards, you've been on TV, and, and you have the greatest food. But the only problem is you have to have reservations because everyone shows up. And you can only serve so many people. I mean, as the owner of the restaurant, let's just say you had a hundred people waiting because it's that good. Then they're waiting there and, and you're saying, okay, it's seven o'clock, Loxena party, you can come in. And then you go and you eat your food and then, and then the next person. And at every given time when your reservation is, you go in. 
You're the restaurant owner now. The most famous person on the planet. Everybody knows this restaurant. Let's just say some guy ran in. He said, oh, man, I had to park like far. Because there's like cars parked all along the side. But um, uh, party for four, please. And you as the restaurant owner said, okay, uh, what time is your reservation? Oh, I didn't think I needed one. Well, you, you need a reservation because there's, there's, there's uh, so many tables and, and we want to seat everybody. He said, well, I, I read about it, but I just thought if I showed up, you'd allow me in. And it would be okay with you. Uh, plus, uh, I read that you are the best restaurant. Aren't you not the best restaurant? Well, yes, we are. Uh, are you not like the, 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 the owner? Yeah, yes, I am. And uh, uh, are, did, weren't you guys like reviewed to be the, like, the greatest restaurant in the whole world? Uh, yes, we are. And don't you have like the best food here? Uh, yes, we do. And how come I can't come in? Well, you can come in, but you needed a reservation. Now, as the owner, because I know what you would say, just let them in. How hard is that? Just let them in. If you are sitting there for two hours, think realistically. You're sitting there for two hours with reservations. And then the guy says, sure, you can go in. Okay, hey guys, let's go in. No reservations. Imagine if the guy said, well, would you let me in if I'm dressed like this? I have a tuxedo on. Look at how good I'm dressed. Why don't you let me in? Look at my shoes. It's, it's nice, shiny. Look at the gold rings I have. Look at, look at how well-dressed I am. Won't you let me in? And as the owner, if you let him in, don't you think the next person would say the same thing? Then wait a minute. Okay, why'd you let that guy in? Oh, because he was dressed well. He had a tuxedo on. He was sharp. And you see his wife? Stunning. Everyone was dressed well. The next person will say, okay, well, then I'll dress well then. Then after a while, everyone would be dressed well. But now we have to pick and choose who looks better than the other person. Now, this restaurant is no longer based on the vision that he had. It's now based on how good the person looks to get in. As a restaurant owner, how good does a person have to look in order for you to say you're better than the other person? Up to what point? God, as the owner of the universe, said, oh, don't worry about that. Good and bad will be able to get in. How's about this? How about I send my son who's perfectly dressed? Party of six billion. And on his ticket, his reservation, you're in. Now it's not based on your works. It's based on how good the owner is and that you have a specific reservation with his son. See, how good can we be? Many people think that just because God is good and heaven is the best place in the world, you can just walk in. The Bible says it in this way, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10.13, it says, For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone, good or bad. Anyone. 
And it concludes with this, Romans 10, 9. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. See, we're entering into God's throne room, heaven, the place where God dwells. Remember, our Father which art in heaven. Heaven is a place that is real. And when Jesus Christ came to this earth, He made that way possible. All who call on His name shall be saved. Anyone, good or bad. You know, sometimes we can think, but what if they don't call upon His name? What if they can't? You know, I have a a nephew who has been bedridden, who since birth... Had some complications, not able to speak, not able to communicate with us in a way that we can understand. And he can't walk all his life. He's 22 years old. But every time I visit him, I always talk to him about heaven. He may not be able to confess it with his mouth vocally. The Bible is talking about a heart issue here. Because because when the Bible talks about the heart, that's what God designed in us. That's something between us and God. He designed us so that we could communicate with Him. And and I would just talk to Him and, and, and talk to Him about heaven. And even though he may not be able to answer me, I know he can comprehend. He, can, he knows what I'm saying. You know, I'll go to him and I'll, I'll just kind of lean over because he's on the bed. And, and I'll whisper to him and I'll, I'll tell him, I'll say, Hey, I know right now you can't use your legs. You can't run. You can't jump. You can't play like all the other kids. You can't do these things. You have a difficult time because you're lying here. You know, I'll talk to him about all of those things. But then I'll always tell him this. I'll always tell him this. One day, because I talk to him about Jesus all the time. I said, one day, when we get to heaven, you and I will be able to run together. We'll run. We will run. See, the part we got to do is choose. God does His part, the complicated part. He hands us the key and says, you just got to receive it. It's up to you. See, God wants heaven to be filled with people. Because people matter to God. Amen. And close your Bibles, put away your notes. You know, when John was writing the words of heaven and and writing about what heaven is going to be like, I wonder how how he felt, you know, trying trying to describe to us what heaven will look like. But in the book of Revelation, chapter 21... He's trying to, uh, again, give us a, 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 as best as possible what heaven looks like. 
Then he says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And He showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits each yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree, they were for the healing of the nations, and, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. They shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I thought that is amazing. And although the Bible tries its very best, although men and women try their very best to describe to us what heaven will be like, what heaven will look like, and what heaven will feel like, we only have a preview here on this earth. If you want to see the big deal and the whole thing, you just have to wait till you get there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for not just giving us life, but you've given us eternal life. You've prepared a place for us that you didn't just think us up and, and then along the way kind of figure things out. Heaven was always there because you are in heaven. It's eternal. But this morning, Lord, there's some that may not have that assurance because maybe they've been trying it themselves or have tried to go their own route. Maybe they've heard some other things and tried to follow that route. But there's only one key that unlocks the door. It's your son, Jesus Christ. It's a perfect fit. There may be some here this morning that they're saying, Oh, I, I don't have that assurance. And if you're that person this morning, I'm going to say a prayer. And this prayer is, is that you're giving your life to Jesus Christ. You're making that exchange. Your life for his perfect life. And here's the prayer. You can say it, meaning with all your heart. Lord Jesus, I give you my life in exchange for yours. And I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again to wash me clean. And so I thank you for eternal life.
If you just said that prayer and you said that for the very first time, with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray with you. Could you just lift a hand and say, I I just gave Christ my life. I am transformed forever. If you just said that prayer, go ahead. Hold your hands up. Good. You back there on this side, up here in the front, back there in the middle, back there, back there. You just said yes to Jesus Christ. You can put your hands down. And Lord, I pray for all of us, and especially those that just said yes to you. I pray that as they begin their walk with you, that they will realize that you have a purpose for their life. And that in everything they do, their life has now been transformed from glory to glory. It gets better and better. Thank you for giving us true life in Jesus Christ. And allowing us the privilege of being a part of your dwelling place called heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, Amen.